What comes to your mind when you hear the word thanksgiving? Well, at least for me, this word has a way of sobering me, forcing me to take stock of my life, of considering all of my blessings, even of my conscience chiding me for my lack of gratitude that I have shown to others, maybe to family members, think of yourself in my shoes, maybe to parents, to siblings, to children, friends, workmates, indeed, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially to our God Himself. You may resolve to verbalize your thankfulness to others and to the Lord. I trust that you came here with that desire so to do today, even sitting in the pew anticipating the time of corporate thanksgiving this afternoon, even framing in your own thoughts things that you hadn't considered, now the Lord brings to your mind. And as you ponder God's goodness, maybe with brokenness of heart, you look to the Lord and you ask Him, as you perhaps you have done many times, why have you singled me out to be the blessed benefactor of all of these things that you provide for me, and especially in Christ, your amazing grace. Perhaps you might ponder the gratitude of biblical characters, such as Jacob, as he looked back upon God's blessing to him through decades, amidst great trials, when he testifies to God, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth with which you have shown your servant. Lord, why me? Why all of these things? When I left my parents, when I crossed the Jabbok, all I had were the clothes on my back. But now, look at what I have as I come. Come back home. Flocks and herds, wives and children. All of these things have come from your generous hand to such an unworthy servant as me. Or of David, when pondering Israel's giving back to the Lord from his blessing upon them, when he asked, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and from your own hand you have given them to us. And of Simeon and Anna in the temple, when they thanked God, holding in their arms the infant Savior of the world, to which the people of God had looked for hundreds of years, there looking at Him in their arms. True thankfulness, Christian thankfulness, is directed to God since He is the author of all blessing. The greatest example of thankfulness is the glorious conduit through whom all God's blessings come to us. He is the one through whom we are directed to give our thanks to God. Indeed, all we do is to be done with a spirit of 
gratefulness to God through him. Who am I speaking of? I'm speaking, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 3 and verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Our Father gives us all blessings through Christ. They come to us through our Savior. And all of our praise and thanksgiving is to go through Him back to the Father. That's why I say that true thankfulness is Christian thankfulness. Because it goes to the giver of all good gifts through the one through whom they were bestowed. We should not be surprised to hear that our Lord Jesus Christ was characterized by a thankful spirit. You see, gratitude to God is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus possessed the Holy Spirit without measure. Indeed, all who know the Lord are possessed by the Holy Spirit, and therefore they will not be strangers to the spirit of gratitude. But Jesus is presented to us in the Scripture as the perfect model of thankfulness. Now, if we follow our Lord through the Gospels, we observe that Jesus' life was perfumed with the grace of gratitude. And I wish to focus our attention this morning on three blessings for which our Savior was thankful to His Father in heaven. Surely He was thankful for many things, but three things stick out if we follow Jesus through the Gospels. And you may already anticipate one or more of them. But the lessons for us are these. Jesus' example of thankfulness ought to excite our worship of our thankful Lord. And secondly, it ought to stimulate a holy desire to walk as He walked, as thankful Christians. So what were those things the Gospels record for which Jesus was especially thankful. Well, first of all, Christ was thankful to God for the provision of our daily needs. John 6 and verse 11. And of course, this miracle, this feeding of the 5,000, is recorded in all four of the Gospels, but I'm re referring to John 6 and verse 11. Therefore Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now you know the story here, that the, the multitudes followed the Lord Jesus, they were famished at the end of the day, he'd been preaching and ministering to them, they were a long way from getting... Food from any town close by. And so the Lord Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes miraculously through the hands of the disciples, if we were to look at the context. They went out and they fed over 5,000 men, not counting women and children. But we see here that the Lord Jesus takes the loaves and he takes the fish and he gives thanks for them. Let's notice a few lessons here. First, Christ's expression of thanks to God 
was not private, but public. He didn't utter thanks to God silently. He uttered thanks to God publicly and openly and vocally. He wanted those whom he was feeding through the gift of the Father to hear his thanks back to the Father. He was outspoken in giving thanks to God as the source of all blessings. And I just say this as an application, as an aside. So we should be at home and in public. We shouldn't be afraid to bow our heads and even give audible thanks to God when seated in a table at a restaurant. Because doesn't God feed us through the restaurant food like he does through the food in our refrigerator and cupboards? He's the author of all of our blessings. And we should give public praise to a God who is so generous. We should not hide our gratitude for God's provision. Secondly, Christ was grateful for God's provision to others. His provision for others. And though he may have eaten, there is no evidence in any of the Gospels that Jesus ate of the loaves and fishes that he multiplied. We know that he was hungry and he ate, of course. But that fact, if it was true, is passed over. And yet he did thank God for providing for those who ate. He thanked God for the provision of others' needs. And that is why we are commanded to think of the needs of others as we pray for God's provision for our own needs. Doesn't our Lord teach us this in the disciples' prayer? Matthew 6 and verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, we can be very selfish and say, Lord, give me my daily bread. But we're to think of others. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I not only need, but all of my family and friends, they need your provision as well. And I dare say, if we're grateful to God, we will seek to be generous to others with our hands and with our praise and with our prayers. Further, God's blessing of others should excite our thanks to God. When we see God blessing others, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. When we see God give them something that He may have withheld from us, let us not be jealous or envious, but be thankful to God. Let us rejoice with them over God's blessing of them. Indeed, Jesus taught that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That God enabled Jesus to satisfy the needs of others moved our Lord to thankfulness. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He rejoiced over God's goodness to others. Thirdly, Christ expressed gratitude to God even before God provided he gave thanks before the Lord, before he multiplied the loaves and fishes. Notice that Jesus trusted in his generous heavenly Father to supply food for the hungry. He didn't doubt that he would feed them. He thanked God even before he began multiplying the food. And in the same way, we should pray in grateful faith that the Lord will provide not just our needs, but those of others as well. 
Let us ask in faith without any doubting, and God will supply our needs. That's the teaching of Jesus and his apostles. But let's be honest enough to admit that we often doubt God, don't we? We may confess his infinite bounty with our lips while disbelieving in our hearts that he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's easy to testify of that, but do you really believe it in your heart? Remember Paul's remedy for anxiety and doubt. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Well, we sometimes, we, we amend that. Well, there's some things that we can be anxious for, aren't there, Lord? Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. How often we may amend this this text of Scripture and leave out the with thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Perfume our requests with a spirit of gratitude. You see, according to Christ's apostle, grateful prayer is the cure for anxious care. Finally, Christ's provision of our temporal needs advertises his power to provide for our spiritual needs as well. He fed the hungry multitudes that they might seek nourishment for their needy souls. But like the unbelieving Jews who satisfied themselves only with the loaves and fishes and failed to see the spiritual purpose behind his miracle, we too may seek only material provision at the expense of our needy souls. We want material things. We want them now. We're not concerned about our never dying souls. We forget that God's supply of our daily bread points to the bread of life that is needed to, to nourish our starving souls. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he has not Christ? Our greatest need is Jesus as the bread of life. You see, we need to constantly feed on him by faith. But tragically, the well-fed multitude failed to feed upon Christ himself, the living bread. You see, they went away with full bellies. They went away burping, but not praying. They went away with full bellies, but with famished souls. Satisfied for the moment, but not grateful to God for eternal life. Look at John 6, verses 26 through 29. Jesus answered them and said 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Yeah, you're here just to go away happy with a full stomach. This feeding of you was a sign. Me filling your bellies is a sign that I've come to fill your soul. Not just to, to the lengthen your temporal life, but to grant you unending life. You just want the bread that perishes, but not the living bread. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said, therefore, to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? We want another meal. Give us something to do so that we might eat. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then Jesus proceeded to preach his bread of life sermon at the end of John 6. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. You have no life in yourselves. Brethren, the Bible teaches that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the living word. He is the life-giving bread from God. He says in that sermon, My words are spirit and they are life. How grateful to God are those who feed upon Him by faith. This bread satisfies for time and for eternity. And I suggest to you that gratitude to God is one of the sure marks of new life in Jesus Christ. You see, many came to Jesus. Many, remember those ten lepers? But of the one, of the lepers, only one, the Samaritan, out of all the others that came with him who sought bodily healing, only he left rejoicing and thanking God. Not only who healed his body, but who healed his soul. Let me ask you, is that true of you this morning? That you're thanking God for healing your soul. That he's brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. From death to life. Out of darkness into light. If you're here today without the life of Jesus nourishing your soul, your true hunger has not been satisfied, no matter how full your belly is. Because your belly is going to become empty, and you're going to have to feed it again and again and again. Jesus gives you food that never perishes. He gives you the water of life, in fact, so much so that from your very belly will flow rivers of living water if you know the Lord. Well, may God make you hungry for spiritual life and then feed your famished soul with the bread of life in Jesus Christ. And may he renew the hunger of his own who may be feeding on the unsatisfying husks of the world 
May he grant them hunger for the bread, the bread of life that alone satisfies. So Christ was thankful to God for the provision of our daily needs. Secondly, Christ was thankful to God for the assurance of answered prayer. John 11, verses 41 and 42. And so they removed the stone. You remember the circumstances here. Jesus has returned to Bethany after being away, staying there, staying away long enough for Lazarus to die and then to be in the tomb for four days. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Well, isn't Lazarus still in the tomb? He hasn't come forth. He's not pulling off his grave clothes. And I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me. Our Lord prayed, God heard, and Lazarus came forth from the grave. Without delving into details of this wonderful miracle, let us ponder the general truth that God answers us when we pray and we have the assurance of His hearing and responding. First of all, let us be thankful that God hears our prayers. The poor Muslim down the street, he may be involved on his knees, turning his, his, his prayer carpet toward Mecca and praying and praying and praying, and he's praying to a false god. There's, Allah is a figment of men's imaginations. He doesn't hear their prayers. But there's a God in heaven who hears our prayers. So let us be thankful that God, there is a God, and that He hears our prayers. And brethren, unlike our Muslim friend down the street, believing prayers are not empty ritual. Not when that God is seated upon the throne. Not when we come to Him through the name of Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ we have an advocate at the right hand of God. A high priest who sympathizes with us. And an intercessor in heaven who presents our requests before God. We may be confident that God always hears the prayers of His beloved Son. Jesus stated confidently, I knew that you hear me always. We have the infallible assurance that God will hear our prayer when we come to Him in the name of His Son, when we pray according to His will. Second, let us be thankful that Christ knows how to present our requests to the Father when we don't know how to pray. Old saints still lisp prayers. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. We pray for things that aren't good for us. And when our hearts aren't right, 
We grumble against God because He didn't give us what would hurt us? And when He does give us things that are good for us, sometimes we don't recognize them as such right away, do we? Our Lord pleads our needs, and His Father will gladly and surely provide because we are accepted in the Beloved, and He will give us all good things through His Son. Thirdly, let us, like Christ, thank God even before we have the answer to our prayers. And I suggest to you this takes great faith. It was the faith of the centurion that was so great when he said, Jesus, you just say it and it'll happen. I don't need to be there. You say it and he'll be healed. And Jesus marveled. You know, it only says in a couple places in the Gospels that Jesus marveled over the faith of others, and it wasn't the people of Israel. It was Gentiles, like this centurion and the Syrophoenician woman. Well, may we have the kind of faith that causes Christ to marvel. Jesus thanked God for the resurrection of Lazarus while his friend was still in the tomb, even as he thanked God before he multiplied the loaves and fishes. He thanked God before it happened. Again, we behold the crucial link between faith and gratitude. If we're truly grateful, we're grateful for things we prayed for but haven't yet received. We may not receive them in the packaging that we ask them, but God is going to give us something better than what we ask for because we don't know how to pray and what to pray for. Remember Jesus' dictum, be it done according to your faith. We often have not because we ask not or because we ask with doubts rather than with faith. Let us ask in faith that our joy may be full, so that our hearts may brim with thanks, even in the anticipation of God's answers to our prayers. Thirdly, Christ was thankful for the salvation of sinners. The Savior of sinners is thankful for the salvation of sinners. Jesus expressed thanks to God for His sovereignty in the salvation of sinners. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In particular, he thanked God for his distinguishing grace, evident in revealing Christ to some and hiding him from others. Luke 10, 21. At that very time, as after the 72 had returned from their mission trip, giving a report of what God had done through their hands. How many had been healed, demons had been put to flight. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Don't be excited that the demons are subject to you, but be thankful that your names are written in heaven. Because you went on a saving mission, not just from demons, but you saved men by your message from their sin. At that very time, we read, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise, or maybe thank in your translations, 
I praise, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. And Jesus implies it was well-pleasing in my sight, too. Marvelous and mysterious is Jesus' gratitude for the display of God's sovereignty and salvation. Brethren, we learn at least two things for which we should be thankful regarding our own salvation. First of all, grateful wonder and joy should mark our contemplations of God's sovereignty and salvation. Wonderful past finding out are God's gracious ways in choosing and awakening some while leaving others in their sin. Because we're reminded that no, no person, no sinner deserves to be saved. It's not the wise and the noble and the mighty. It's ordinary garden variety. Sinners that God ordinarily saves. Not many wise, noble, mighty. But it's the down and outers. It's the offscouring. It's the ordinary people of this world that God delights ordinarily to save. Brethren, let us bow our knees in humble submission before God, who has the right to do with his own as he wills. No sinner deserves salvation, least of all ourselves. Second, let us give God unceasing praise and thanks for choosing us, for opening our blind eyes, and for making us wise unto salvation. It pleased God to humble our proud hearts, to show us our native folly, our wickedness. It pleased Him to give us eyes to see the kingdom of God and feet to run to Jesus as the only Savior that we might be delivered from the wrath to come. All this God did for you and He did for me if you're a Christian. It pleased Him to draw us to Jesus as weary, heavy-laden sinners and to give us rest in Him. It pleased Him to turn us away from the futility of our fathers inherited. And he's given us an inheritance that will never, never perish, reserved in heaven for us. As a result, the doctrines of God's sovereign election in Christ's particular redemption should humble us and make us ever grateful that God has dealt with, with us in distinguishing grace, sinners that deserve nothing more than anyone else that isn't saved. No, we, we should always be saying, Lord, why me? Why did you set your, your affection upon me? Why did you save me? Why did Jesus die for me? Why did the Holy Spirit come and give me new life? Why? Because it pleased Him so to do. And so we sing, "'Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me." Thou from the sin that stained me has cleansed and set me free. 
Of all thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. Twas sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart knows, owns none before thee. For thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. Jesus rejoiced and thanked his Father for his sovereign grace in choosing and calling some sinners to salvation and not others. But our Lord's gratitude to God for granting salvation extends even further. Even further to choosing him to provide the means for the saving of his elect. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, showing contempt for its shame, so that he might endure God's wrath due us for our sins. And all this Jesus foresaw, and for this he praised God. Think about it. You may thank God after some difficult trial that God has brought you through. But if you knew ahead of time, and God in His kindness doesn't show us what's waiting for us, but there was one He did show what was waiting for Him, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He set His face like flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing the horror, the disrespect, the bleeding, the death that was waiting for him. Jesus knew full well what awaited him when he inaugurated the sacred supper. He thanked the Father for the very symbols of his suffering and shame and the terrible realities that they represented. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew's account of the first Lord's Supper. Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. We ordinarily read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But notice, Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now understand that the disciples were still confused at this point. Peter was later to draw his sword and to cut off the ear of, of the, the servant. He, he, he thought, no, we, we've got to protect you, Lord. He said earlier, remember, when Jesus talked about his death, spoke about it coming, not you, Lord, not you. What did Jesus have to say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're focusing upon the things of time and not of eternity, of this life and not of eternal life. You don't know why I have come, Peter. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. But it's such a cost of my life. 
And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. And he passes the chalice around and they all drink from it. They had heard the sermon. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall perish. And maybe they had some kind of materialistic thoughts about this, but no. They have to metabolize Jesus Christ by faith. They have to believe that he came to die and he died for them and he paid for their sins upon the cross with his own blood. The tokens of the commemorative new covenant meal symbolize our Lord's broken body and shed blood, which he willingly offered to God, the just one for the unjust that he might bring us to God, the sinless Savior dying for sinners, the perfectly holy one for we who are perfectly unholy sinners. Our Savior, while beholding the horror of the cross, looming before him, yet thanked God for the sacrifice he was soon to offer to save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Jehovah saves. That's what Jesus' name means. Twas on that night when doomed to know the eager rage of every foe, that night in which he was betrayed, the Savior of the world took bread. And after thanks and glory given to him that rules in earth and heaven, that symbol of his flesh he broke and thus to all his followers spoke, my broken body thus I give for you, for all take, eat, and live. And oft the sacred rite renew that brings my saving love to view. Then in his hands the cup he raised, and God anew he thanked and praised, while kindness in his bosom glowed, and from his lips salvation flowed. My blood I thus pour forth, he cries, to cleanse the soul in sin that lies in this the covenant was, is sealed and heaven's eternal grace revealed. You see, Jesus beheld in the broken bread and the outpoured wine emblems of his upcoming agony and death. He didn't set them aside. He didn't make an exit. No, he thanked God as he's distributing them, knowing what they stand for. He foresaw the bloody sweat, an agonizing prayer in Gethsemane, the kangaroo court false charges, the cruel abuse at Gabbatha, and the nails, the sneers, the bitter agony, and the hellish horror of his father's abandonment on Golgotha. All of these things he foresaw, and for all of them he thanked God. You see, our Savior thanked God his heavenly Father, not in spite of the cross, but for the cross. That's why Paul's glory was all the cross. The world was crucified to him and he to the world by the cross of Christ. And that's how it must be with each one of us. He thanked God for the cross. 
because he had a joy set before him in the saving of God's elect. And we see this in his high priestly prayer. We don't have, have time to look at it, but he had come and he was accomplishing the very purpose for which he was sent on behalf of those for whom he was sent. It's too marvelous to fully comprehend. It's beyond our ken. We can't understand it. But we're going to be wearing out age on age into eternity, coming to clear views of all the glorious nuances of what Jesus came to do and did. Now, I know this observation is only too obvious, but we need to be reminded of it continually. First of all, if our Lord could thank God for the cross, even for seeing its unspeakable agonies, shouldn't we who have been spared those agonies be ever thankful for it too? We come to the table to renew our vision by faith of Jesus high and lifted up, dying for us. And our thanksgiving to God should be renewed each time we come to the table. Second, if Christ thanked God for the cross that brought him unspeakable suffering to purchase our salvation, shouldn't we likewise thank God for our own lesser crosses that further our sanctification? They're intended for our good. You see, as Christ was, so are we in the world. Crosses are God's means of conforming us to the image of our Savior, of whom the Writer to the Hebrews says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He was tested and tried and he came forth faithful. But he had to go through those tests to qualify him to be our sympathetic high priest, seated at the right hand of God. We come to him to find mercy and receive grace in time of need. He suffered so that he would be such a sympathetic high priest for us. He knows what we're going through. He's been tested in all manner as we have been, yet without sin. That's why he can come to our aid, because he never failed. Paul knew this, and, and he thanked God for his trials. He even pleaded with God what did Paul want more than anything? That I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says this life is, is a journey not unlike our Savior's journey. First comes the humiliation, then comes the exaltation. So as Christ was, we are in this world. Now we don't suffer to pay for our own sins. That Jesus did. But we do suffer in part for our sanctification to be like Him. The, you see, the cross must come before the crown. So it was with our Lord, so it must be for His followers. We should be thankful for the crosses Christ places upon us for serving Him because they ripen us for glory. May Paul's perspective be ours. Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 17. And we have the promise of the Apostle Peter. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The cross must come before the crown. I just wanted to bring our attention to these things to prime our hearts to come and give public testimony to God's goodness and to thank Him this after lunch. Well, may our meditation upon these things prime our hearts to give God public gratitude for He is so deserving, is He not? May God be pleased to make us a thankful people. Let's pray. Our Father, how can we consider these things if we're honest with ourselves and honest with you that we are often not a thankful people? We're often ungrateful or grumbling and griping. We forget the treasures that are all about us, things that you poured out in your generosity to us, things that make life pleasant, things that make eternity desirable, things begun in grace that will be finished in glory. Lord, forgive us for our ingratitude. Help us to see with renewed vision the things for which we should be so thankful to you. Thank you that you provide for our daily breads, and you answer our prayers, and you provided for us salvation in Christ. Lord, you spared not your own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall you not also with him freely give us all things? And therefore, we praise your name, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.